Thank you very much. Before I start, I'd like to ask the students here today if they know what a leverage buyout is. Raise your hand, those that do. That's actually more than I thought. Uh, very briefly, a leverage buyout is the purchase of a corporation by investors with the management using as much debt as prudently possible and as little equity as you need. In many cases, that company is then taken to what we like to call the corporate fat farm. Because of the leverage, it has to get shaped, has to shape itself up. It has to reduce costs, get rid of businesses that don't fit their core, and provide their own people with greater incentives than they probably had as a larger public company. But I'm not going to talk to you today about leverage buyouts. What I'd like to talk to you about briefly is how my partner Henry Kravis, Jerry Kohlberg, and I went through the process of deciding to leave Bear Stearns and start our own firm. In your lifetime, you're going to have many opportunities to make a major change in your life. And one of those, I hope, will be going out on your own and being an entrepreneur. I'd like to turn the clock back to some 13 years ago. Uh, at that point in time, I was 31 years old. I was living the American dream, had a wife, three children, three dogs, three cats, several gerbils, goldfish, a house that I couldn't afford, uh, several cars, and was doing pretty good. I'd become a partner at Bear Stearns when I was 29 years old, one of the goals I'd wanted to achieve for myself, and was starting to save and make a little money. So why, you say, go out and do something different? Why go out and risk it all again and take a chance? Well, Henry and I sat around and we talked and we decided a number of things. First of all, we didn't really like working for other people. We wanted to work for ourselves. We wanted to be able to set our own agenda. We wanted to be able to earn what we could produce, not have to support anybody else but ourselves. And we wanted to have a quality of life that at least working for a big Wall Street firm didn't allow you to do. Uh, for example, I love living in California and San Francisco, do not like New York, and didn't think that that was a proper place to raise three children. In order to get ahead in a firm based in New York, you basically had to be there, and you had to fight the corporate bureaucracy and politics to go into that. I want no part of that. Uh, in addition, I wanted to be able to spend time with my family. That was very important to me, to watch them grow up and be part of that. That's very hard to do in many cases in a large corporation where you're working for someone else and where your time is not always your own. If they tell you to be in New York on Sunday afternoon, you can forget the Little League baseball games and the birthday parties. You go to New York if you want to climb the corporate ladder. That was not my style. With all those juices flowing, um, my wife and I, Leanne, went to Hawaii to decide what we were going to do. And I'll never forget the vacation. That I would start early in the morning and walk down the beach. And by the time I reached one end of it, uh, I said, OK, I'm going to leave. By the time I walked back to the other, I said, maybe that's not such a good idea. And we would talk and talk at dinner. And um, finally, one night, I'm sure she was sick of hearing me whine and complain and not make a decision. And so we started talking about the pros and the cons. 
And she said, well, what's the worst thing that you can think of that will happen to you if you leave? I said, well, I'll, we'll fail. We'll lose all our money, uh, and then you and I will have to go back and live with uh, my mother-in-law, your mother, and uh, <laughs> that'll just show that she was right when she told you you shouldn't have married me in the first place. <laughs> and she says, well, you know, failing's not so bad. You know, you're well-educated. Uh, you've done okay. You can always go out and get another job. And she said, then she asked me, what would you do if you didn't have the responsibilities of a family? I said, well, there'd be no doubt I would go out and, you know, go for it. And then finally she said, you know, if the worst is that you're going to fail, she said, I have enough confidence in you and Henry that I know you won't. So why don't you go for it? Don't worry about us. Just go and do the best you can. Mm -hmm. And after that vacation in Hawaii, Henry Kravis and I sat down at a restaurant in New York uh, called Joe and Rose's, and we had dinner. And the two of us decided that if we couldn't do a number of deals in five years' time that we had allowed ourselves, uh, we really didn't belong, to, belong in this business. We shouldn't have a chance. Well, since that point in time, we've been able to go out and I think help pioneer an industry which was almost a nothing a number of years ago. And to give you some idea of how nothing it was, uh, you heard Mr. Gaylord last night stand up and say how proud he was to buy the uh, Opryland Hotel and how he outbid 25 other people. Well, the number two bidder in the group was KKR. And uh, <laughs> that was in 1983. And I had dinner the other night with the, the fellow that runs the insurance company, American General, that. that made the decision to sell to Mr. Gaylord as opposed to us. And he said one of the things that really weighed on his mind is he said he didn't understand how a group of guys uh, could raise the money uh, uh, to buy it. And it was, I think it was a $270 million deal at the time. That was five years ago. In 1986, which I guess was the last year that statistics were put in place, uh, there was over $50 billion of, quote, leverage buyouts done. Now, that's a far cry from maybe $100 million back in 1976 when we started. So the markets have changed, and we've been, we've been very, very lucky. If you look at the last 17, 18, 19 years of your life that you've been here, you've seen some dramatic changes, at least economically, when you sit back and reflect on it. The United States has gone from one of the largest creditor nations in the world to the largest debtor nation. We over, owe over $2 trillion of debt. Uh, that's substantially more than I think any leverage buyout will ever be done for, but it's a lot. Oil prices have gone from $3 to $40, back down to $8, up to $12 in a period of 15 years. Just think of the dislocations of resources and the impact that has on inflation and what goes on in the world. Interest rates have gone from 4% to 21%, back down to 7 or 8% with all the dislocations that that imposes. Changes, these kinds of changes, bring about great opportunities for people if they're willing to stand up, take a chance, put it all on the line, and go for it. Looking ahead in your future, what do you see? 1992, uh, the European economy is going to be one. There's over 350 million people in Europe. Europe does not have the kind of deficits the United States does. 
tax rates are coming down, consumer spending is going to go up, and you have a market 50 percent bigger again than the United States. You're going to witness the gradual failure of communism as an economic power in the world, the economic system. What you see happening with the Chinese, some 900 million strong, the Russians some 300 million strong, is a change from a communist economic system to one of capitalism because they can't afford to feed their people and give them the benefits uh, that they need to do to stay in power to do it. That's 25 percent of the world population on a day's basis uh, that will become capitalist, not communist, over your lifetime. So with those changes, you're going to have great opportunities, whether it be in economics, investment banking, teaching, science, whatever it is. And there's no greater feeling, uh, let me assure you that, of being an entrepreneur and being on your own and having your name on the door and knowing that every morning that you get up, you have people responsible, that you're responsible for, in your direct actions, not someone else's, but your direct actions, your thoughts, your creativity, can do something about it. You can do something directly in life about that. Uh, you don't need coffee in the morning uh, when you have that that you're carrying around with you. It gets the adrenaline going. And no matter how tired you are at night and how depressed and discouraged you are about the day's events, you wake up the next morning at five or six, refreshed and ready to go get them. And that's a sense and a feeling that I would like you all to share sometime in your life. And even if you fail, and you, some of you will, many of you will fail three, four, five times before you finally get it right. Our system, our economic system, if you're a failure, but yet you keep your integrity, you keep your word, you keep your honor, people will continue to support you and you'll have chance after chance after a chance again. I'm very proud to be here in the company of all the wonderful people and honorees and I hope uh, when all is said and done, that you all go to college and be great successes. And in 20 years from now, when uh, I'm back, one of you will be up here talking about entrepreneurship. So thank you very much. Thank you. Gentlemen in the back, please. Right rear. King, and I'm from Knoxville, Tennessee. And uh, the, movies, miss, the movies like to dramatize the illegal buying and the... And the uh, underhand maneuvers on Wall Street and in the area of finance. And I was just wondering how realistic that is and how often that plays a part in your everyday life. Well, Michael Douglas got an Academy Award for portraying uh, Mr. Gecko in that. I think what you, it's unfortunate you, what you see on the screen and what you read in the paper are by far the exception. It's not the general rule. Most of the people that work in the financial area in Wall Street are very honest, very hard-working people. Uh, people like yourselves that are well-educated, achievers, uh, that want to do something. They're not in it just for the last buck. They're in it to accomplish and succeed. That's a very unfair picture, I believe, of that. Um, uh, the markets are real markets. They're not rigged. Uh, sometimes you make bad decisions, but they're not rigged. And most people are very honest and hard-working. Center front. Mr. Roberts, in the past few years, there's been a number of 
an increasing amount of criticism of what Jesse Jackson has termed corporate violence. How do you defend acquiring wealth at what some would say is the expense of others, and what some argue is without any socially redeeming value? And what value do you see in continuing to make more and more money when many would say that you have enough money to, ser to serve all your interests? That's a good question. Um, the last time I looked, uh, we lived in America uh, where there was no limitation on somebody's efforts and what that could produce in terms of capital and wealth for one. Se secondly, uh, if you had quoted somebody besides Jesse Jackson about corporate violence, uh, it might, be a, might get a little different answer. But uh, these deals are not portraying, you're not portraying corporate violence on anyone. What you're basically doing uh, is buying a business and making it better. And let me give you a good example. Uh, Safeway, which is a name many of you have heard, at least if you're on the West Coast, was a large, is the largest retail uh, establishment, food establishment in America. There's 20 billion in sales. And that, I think, was what Jesse Jackson was referring to because we closed, nine, closed some stores in Dallas, Texas. Uh, that company, when you really analyze what it was, was a series of different businesses, um, several of them very profitable in areas where they had labor priority, some that were not. They had a lot of underperforming assets, and by that I mean billions of dollars tied up in real estate and inventories that were not earning any money. So it was not truly the most efficient corporation in the world. We went to the labor unions and said, we can't afford to pay you $15 an hour when your comp our competition's paying nine. Will you take nine? They said no. We sold the stores. We took our money out and put it into more productive assets uh, in areas where we did have labor parity. And if you step back and look at what's happened in the last two years, uh, Safeway spends more money today than it did prior to our buying on capital expenditures. It employs more people. There's more productivity in the stores. For example, in Northern California, before we bought it, there was roughly 100 million man hours worked. Last year was 118 million man hours in the same stores. That means we're employing more people longer in those stores. Uh, it's very dangerous uh, to take generalities about any kind of financial dealings or business dealings and make general statements on it. You have to look at the particular situation and draw conclusions from that. One last question. Yeah, Matthew Marks from Sykesville, Maryland. Um, in his autobiography, T. Boone Pickens stated that his, one of his motivations for corporate raids was to rid corporations of corrupt upper-level management, which would in turn uh, force the problems of the takeover on the employees. Is, uh, is ridding that kind of corp um, corporate greed and corruption part of your motivation for restructuring corporations? Well, first of all, I don't think that most corporations have corrupt corporate managers. They might have too many of them, and they might have bloated overheads, and they might have a lot of efficiencies. But most people that work in America are trying to do a good job. Uh, they just have been managed on a set of principles that are no longer applicable with what you have today. You can't afford 
large bureaucracies and all the great things to have in the world today in a big corporation and still compete in a world market. Uh, you've got to become more efficient. Uh, otherwise, we're not going to survive in certain industries. And that's where this technique of financing and doing things has been very instrumental because it makes you focus on what you need, not what you would like to have. Uh, and with all due deference to Boone Pickens, I, you know, I would take exception with, with at least what he's quoted there. Thank you very much, George Roberts. <laughs>